Would you like to be seated? And we're going to hear our reading from Maggie, and then Chris is going to bring God's Word to us. The reading this morning is Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 13. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll, worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Maggie. Now, I just need to, I just need to ask a favour from you. Uh, I know you, those of you at home won't be able to help in quite the same way, but if you see a robin coming, just tell me to duck, please, <laughs> if it's coming in too close. It's uh, lovely to be uh, with you this morning, and uh, I do feel for Jan and Richard, they've got to hear me a second time. So if you want to fall, as <laughs> if you want to fall asleep, you're very welcome to. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we uh, sit in this beautiful place, as we sit with these beautiful people around us, as we think of the lovely children and young people who are meeting elsewhere, Lord, we thank you for all the love that we see in them. And all that we experience that is good is so often something that points us towards your love. And this morning, we pray that you will give us a glimpse of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Anita reminded us that uh, in just a few weeks, Kathy and Aidan will be leaving us to move to Derby. Should we have a quick ah, because they're at home? Ah, hope you heard that, Aidan. <laughs> and Kathy. And for Kathy, this move is the culmination of many years of preparation and study, a move which has been the focus particularly of the last three years of her life in Trinity College. And she's lived in constant anticipation of that mythical thing called the curacy. Everything she's done, every decision that she has made, every essay completed has been a preparation for the curacy. And for most of the time, it's only been promised. She hasn't known what it would look like. She hasn't known where it would be or who it would be with. And it's only recently that she's actually had it fully confirmed. And yet, in all that time that she's studied, she's lived in hope and faith that what God had called her to would be waiting for her. And I think Kathy, if she was here, would be the first to say it's not always been easy waiting. But now she knows where it will be. And I'm sure she's both nervous, but also longing to get there and to enter into her new way of life. And in the same way, Paul, writing to the Colossians in chapter 2, says that we should set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. For when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's encouraging us to keep our minds fixed on those heavenly things, the things that God has promised us. And I vividly remember as a young curate many, many years ago in Pembury Hospital, Tunbridge Wells, standing beside a hospital trolley with a member of our congregation. At the time, I was very, very young, and I thought she was very, very old. She was probably in her 70s. Uh, and I realize now that that's not true. It's still very, very young. <laughs> but she was about to go in for major surgery, and uh, she knew that it was highly likely that she might not survive this uh, surgery. And I came as a young curate to pray for her. And as I came over to pray for her, she looked me in the eyes with a radiant smile on her face and said that she had no fear of dying whatsoever because it was what she'd been preparing for all her life. And this, if it was to be death, was for her the start of the greatest adventure of all. And I kind of sat there thinking, I'm the one who's being encouraged here. I thought I was coming to pray for you, but you are teaching me of something about what it means to have assurance of faith. That all her life she had set her face towards Jesus and towards heaven. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And on that hospital bed, in that hospital so many years ago, I learned what true faith and confidence and hope means in real life. Now, over the past uh, months in church, we've been tracing the pattern of creation, decreation, and recreation in the life of the whole Bible. So for those who've not been here before, and it might be your first time, we started at Genesis, and we've now got to Revelation, from the beginning to the end of the Bible. And we've noticed how there's a pattern throughout the Bible of how God does something. He brings things back to life. He recreates things. And then human beings uh, fall away from them. 
and reject him. And there is a period of decreation. And then you need uh, to come back through that cycle of recreation. But ultimately, what is it all for? When we started at the beginning, we started with a picture of the Garden of Eden, a place of peace and harmony, a place where there was no division between the spiritual and the physical worlds, where God and man met, where they walked and talked together. That's the picture that is given to us in Eden, where there was no barrier between them, and then we saw how in the story of Adam and Eve and the apple, an act of disobedience ripped apart that unity and placed a barrier between us and God, between the physical and the spiritual realms, resulting in a deep sense of alienation and a yearning for meaning. And so many of us around us, as we listen, people who, don't, who are not Christians and others often sense that deep desire for a spirituality to find meaning in who they are. Because the alternative is to think that maybe our lives are just a random collection of atoms that come together for a while and then disappear into nothing. Or maybe we try to find meaning by being the best us that we can. Or in sharing a little bit of love with others. Or simply by seeking to realize our true potential, to find our identity, to be who we really are while we still have time. Or maybe... The calling is simply to try to do as little harm as possible. But the Bible tells us a different story. It tells us that there is a meaning and that there is a possibility of full reconciliation and a hope of restoration even in the darkest moments of all. In a little while, well, we've got a cross there at the center of the church. It's a reminder to us of Jesus' act of love on the cross and redemption. And Luke tells us that even while he was on the cross dying, he turned to the man beside him who was also facing death, who reached out to him and he said these words to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. In that man's darkest moment, God spoke to him and promised him life and hope. Now, again, many years ago, and I'm sorry to hark back to my past. I'm just reminding myself how old I am. My wife is telling me not to. But I used to study English, and uh, there was a, my favorite poet was a, a poet called Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who was a, a very Christian man, but also a man who was deeply troubled and searching and longing for wholeness and meaning. And he wrote a poem called This Lime Tree Bow My Prison, which I had to write essays on. But what was... Uh, amazing about it was it was a story of, of walking in the Lake District and walking through uh, a kind of a, a wooded valley where all you could see were leaves and dappled light, and it was lovely. But he describes how walking through the, the kind of dark and dappled area, almost surrounded by this kind of prison of, of trees, as he comes out of it at the end, he emerges into this vast landscape of the Lake District and sees all the colors and the sun shining and the blue and everything else, and he describes a sense of being utterly overwhelmed by the beauty. He just looks out there and his, his breath is taken away and he says it, it's almost as if the veil had been taken away and he could see the reality of God and his whole life was caught up in wonder, love and praise. It was as if for him 
that veil was ripped away and he could be with God again just for a moment in that lost paradise of Eden. And occasionally we are given the opportunity to be privileged to experience those moments ourselves. And I'm sure there are many people who could describe situations where they have felt and experienced the presence of God and something beyond this earth. For me, one of the most powerful moments was in Pembury Hospice uh, when I was the vicar of St. Andrew's Paddock Wood. And I was at the bedside of a friend of mine called Peter Swate. Now, Peter had had cancer for quite a long period of time, and I'd had the privilege to walk with him through that journey of cancer. And we spent many an hour having coffee and tea and talking, talking about life, talking about meaning, talking about God. And Peter had a problem. He could not believe in God. His wife was a very committed Christian, had been all her life, but Peter could not get it. He did not believe that God could be there. And so we talked about why I believed and why he didn't. We talked about who Jesus was. We talked about the witness of Jesus. We talked about how he could meet us. And in that hospice, I sat with him one day and I said, Peter, it sounds to me from the way you're talking that actually you do believe in Jesus now and you want him to be part of your life. Am I right? And he looked me in the eye and he said, Chris, I rather think you're right. And we prayed a prayer and he invited Jesus into his life at that point. And for the next three days, he and his wife Margaret spent the most glorious time praying together, sharing their hearts, talking in a way that they'd never been able to talk about the things that meant the most to them. And I was invited to come on the last night before he died and we did a communion. And the three of us sat around and we broke bread together and we drank the wine. And something extraordinary happened in that moment. The room was filled with a fragrance beyond anything you could imagine like a, a really fine perfume. And all the nurses and the people came in and said, what is that amazing smell? I've never smelled anything like it. I subsequently asked, learned that people had said that occasionally they've had that, the fragrance of God filling them and filling the space at certain moments. And for me, that was a moment where it was as if that the barrier between heaven and earth was stripped back as Peter drew near to his God. And just a few hours later, as he died, I was sat with him, and his last words were, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And I think in that room, I glimpsed something of heaven. And Revelation 22 tells us, a little bit about what that might look like. Always these are pictures. We're not trying to say everything is the way we are. But it gives us an idea of what God's final recreation might be, a place of indescribable beauty where all that we have longed for is finally fulfilled. Once again, there will be a garden, but this time, whereas in the, part, in the, in the first Eden, Adam and Eve were set there to tend it and bring design in order, this is one that is completed. The design has been fulfilled, and it is a garden city where nature and design exist together in perfect harmony, a place of life and growth, nourished by a beautiful river which is surrounded by trees, trees whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. And I found that quite poignant, thinking about climate change and the destruction of our life-giving trees that's going on around us. Here in this image of God, the trees are there for the healing of the nations. And it's a place where, once again, God and all his people live in unity. If, as last week, Paul told us that hell was ultimately a place of separation, then heaven is the place 
of unity. And through faith, we recognize that this is the end to which all creation, all the strivings of humanity are heading. It's through faith when we have it that we understand that this is where our own lives will reach their own fulfillment. And clearly we can't know it fully in the here and now, but we're given glimpses of what lies ahead. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. But even though we see only a reflection of what the reality will be, it is enough. For we have the promise of Jesus. If we read John 14 too, as we did earlier this morning, we would have heard the words, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Jesus is saying, I'm telling you that I'm going to prepare a place for you because there is a place, a mansion, a house with many rooms. And it's the promise of a place where we will fit completely and exactly because it's been prepared by the master carpenter, the one who knows us fully. In this broken world, we will never be fully comfortable. We may at times feel like we don't fit and nobody understands us, but heaven is the place where we will be fully known and finally understand everything. The place where we will fully feel at home and who we are for the first time. And the Bible doesn't flinch from recognizing that for many of us, life is often very hard. It's not easy. We have to walk at times through the valley of the shadow of death. And that sometimes there are struggles beyond which we can hardly endure. And yet the Bible still offers us hope. In Revelation 7:17, John describes how those who've been through suffering are brought into the presence of the Lamb of God, Jesus, who tenderly leads them to cool, refreshing springs of life, giving water. And as they bathe, God gently and personally wipes away every tear from their eyes. A wonderful, intimate picture of a God who loves us and touches us at the deepest points of our pain and our identity. And for the early Christians who were going through persecution and suffering, this would have been an enormous source of comfort for them as they saw their family and their friends being martyred for their faith. The assurance that at the very moment that they went from this world, they were welcomed into heaven by Jesus and by God the Father. What a comfort it would have been to them. And of course for them, it was much closer to that resurrection of Jesus for them the guarantee of their faith. And we are invited today to live in the reality, in the light of this reality, to weigh our present sufferings and struggles against the promise of God. Paul expresses this hope when he wrote to the Philippians. He said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You know, one of the things about my accident, and thank you for those of you who prayed for me five weeks ago when somebody opened a door in front of me as I was cycling. I was only glad they didn't do it a second earlier when they would have hit Anita. But I fell, and as I look back at where I fell, it was an extraordinary miracle 
because normally when you're hit by a, a car door, you fall into the road. Somehow my bike went on without me, and I fell parallel to the, to the car that I had uh, hit. And as I looked up, I saw a car over the top of me, and as I rolled away, I felt its wheels run along the side of my body. And I realized at that moment that I was inches away from either serious injury or more likely death. And somebody who witnessed it assumed that they would be picking me up off the road. I am very grateful that I wasn't uh, killed at that point or damaged. But what amazed me was that I felt afterwards, if I had died, I would have been with Christ. And I didn't feel any fear or anxiety. A little bit later I went through it and you go through the trauma and the shock. But it hasn't lasted very long. Because ultimately, my fear would have been for my family, for Anita and the others, but not for me. We live our lives with that assurance of being in heaven. Again, that reminder from Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The New Testament sometimes speaks about heaven as the prize which inspires us to run the race and never give up. And Hebrews 12 des uh, describes how there's a great crowd or cloud of witnesses around us cheering us on as we follow Christ. Now, as a nine-year-old, I saved up all my pocket money. By the way, we're coming in for the home straight now. You can relax. When I was a child, nine years old, uh, and I saved up all my pocket money. I didn't get very much for a whole year. Didn't buy a single sweet or treat in that entire year. And that was hard for me, as Anita will tell you. I like my sweets. But at the end of that year, I took those, uh, that little money that I'd saved and I gave it to my parents. And they doubled it and they returned to me the watch of my dreams that I had longed for and looked for. And every sacrifice I made was worth it at the time because I knew that the watch was coming. And so we're invited to live lives of purpose, lives that are informed by this confidence and assurance that we can have as Christians that heaven is a wonderful place and it's waiting for us, that we do not need to fear death, but there we will find the fulfillment of all that we are and all that we will be. So may the hope of heaven and the promise of our final recreation be an inspiration and encouragement for us to continue to serve and live our lives for God throughout our lives. And I just want to uh, say that uh, if you're like me and, and many of us have been Christians for a long time, others of us are new, when we've been a Christian a long time, it's very easy to lose sight of that first love and that excitement. And uh, sometimes you don't realize how much it means until something happens to you as it happened with me and you realize how deep it goes into your psyche. But the closer we come to the end of this life, the more important it is that the promise of heaven will become. And if you've never read it, I urge you to read C.S. Lewis's Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I know it's a children's story, but the ending of that story will bring you to tears as it describes uh, the parting of the children from their beloved friend as he walks forward through the veil into the presence of God. And so I want to close with Paul's words from Philippians 3. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is head, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So while I pray, the music group are going to get ready to lead us in our next worship song. Let's pray.
Lord God, we thank you for each other. We thank you for Zion, who is beginning that uh, Christian life of being part of your kingdom. We pray that in due course you will reveal to him that hope of heaven, and that he will know up growing the Lord, knowing the Lord Jesus as his uh, friend and saviour, as the rock of his life. But we pray that today for each of us, you will give us a glimpse of heaven, that you will help us to reach out and touch the reality and wonder of your love and to know it for ourselves. That we might live this life in joy and fullness and hope, confident that our lives are safe in you and that you, O Lord, are our fullness. You, O Lord, are our hope and our truth and our life. And you complete us. In Jesus' name, amen.